weren't sure you needed me tonight. Felt to me like the Lord was doing a work right there. What he didn't tell you about Brother Houston, who heard me mention in this morning, the morning service this morning, I was coming to Wallace Ridge. He canceled a trip to a bass tournament or something. Said, I'll drive you over there. We had a time. What he didn't tell you is that's Brother Jeff Story's son in the gospel right there. Yeah. He's still scared of Jeff Story. <laughs> Can I get a witness from anybody? <laughs> you may be seated, and thank you for the, some of the kindest words. Wow. So good to be here with you again. I was counting 19, 20, 21, 22. Is that right? Four years? You know, when I was young, I, I was, I found out later what was wrong with me. I had OCD, and it's, this is a true story, and God healed most of it. He left a little bit to remind me. When I was in the uh, 10th grade, the Lord healed me. It was a terrible condition, really. That's a true story. I was OCD, and then a few years ago, my wife diagnosed me as ADD. I asked my doctor if he would try some of those pills on me for ADD, and he went, who diagnosed you with ADD? I said, my wife. He kept typing on his little computer. You know, that's what they do now. Can I get another witness? And I said, well, you're going to let me try it? And he said, No. I said, why not? He said, we've never tried it out on anybody your age. So I was OCD, and then I was ADD, and now I'm just OLD. Yeah, it's a wonderful day. I went to a 90th birthday party of, of an old, old, older senior brother in our church. He was turning 90 years old, and he was at Pilgrim Manor Nursing Home. They had a little section roped off and a birthday cake, and they just invited a few, and so I was in there, and here comes a lady in one of these motorized wheelchairs, and she just bust right through the roped-off things. They had some ropes, and she just came wheeling up and stuck her hand out, she introduced herself to me, and I said, well, hello, I'm Jerry Dean. And she said, Mr. Dean, I've been here eight years. You're going to love it here. I was looking around, Pastor. Hey, by the way, we feel so wonderfully about you and your family, too. Those feelings are mutual. The prayingest evangelist I ever had was sitting on this platform, is here tonight. We couldn't even get him to go eat lunch with us. You talk about putting you under conviction. We were like, we quit asking him. Because we go down there be eating, and we're all feeling horrible about it. You know, he's He's praying. He walks with the Spirit, and you know that, don't you? But I was looking around. I'm, 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 I'm one of the oldest ones here. Look at all these young people out here in the middle of the country. Can you believe that? How awesome is that? That's incredible, man. All of them dressed up with suits on. Guys and girls, I don't know how many of them there are. There's a gang of them, some of them over here. Man, you better build a new building because in about five years, they're all going to get married and have a kid, and then they're all going to have another kid. 
All you parents say, Amen. Amen. That was weak. <laughs> I love missions, and Brother Borders, it's good to hear your passion. I love that. Thank God for that. Amen. When Jesus comes, I like to sing old songs none of the young people know. When Jesus comes, the power of Satan is broken. When Jesus comes, he wipes the tears away. I don't even think the old people know it. He takes the gloom and fills my heart with gladness for all is changed. Since Jesus came to stay. Anybody here ever heard that song? <laughs> you could have lowered that wow just a little bit over there. <laughs> One sat alone. Beside the highway begging. This is a cool song. His eyes were blind. The light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. That's a Bible story. When Jesus comes. Pretty good song, isn't it? When Jesus comes, you don't know it for sure, do you? Just forget it. Let's preach. <laughs> Amen. I, I, will, I will share a little bit of my heart, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have to do these things anymore. I left a little beautiful granddaughter in the bed. Sleep, taking her nap. She's going to be waking up wanting to know where Papa's at. But I'm honored that, and still a little bit amazed that people have invited us to do these things. And I have a couple of, I have a lot of passions in life that relate to God. But I just, I love seeing these young people. Let me, let me challenge all of these kids and Sunday school teachers every year. Sometimes about August, our kids start raising money for our missions conference, which will be coming up February 24th, 25th. Brother Raymond Woodward's going to be with us and be preaching. If you are not in church, you want to join us online, we'd love to have you. But last year, our kids raised over $11,000, and they built a church in, in Bangladesh, a country church. They bought motorcycles for Uganda. They bought bicycles for preachers. They bought a couple of motorcycles for some preachers in Uganda. And they started over 20 churches with those motorcycles. Doing a great work for God. Thank you, Brother Stevenson, for casting a great vision for this church. I think I told you when I was here last, you were going to touch the world from this little place out here in the country. And you are doing that. Two times your pastor has called me, Brother Dean, I've got this much money, where are we going with it? And I have a passion for Bible schools, and, 
And uh, the word is on the street about how you people have developed a passion for missions. It will change your church forever. Forever. So, here we are tonight. Before I preach, I want to say something. That was supposed to be funny. We, we strive to make our church a safe place, a sanctuary. You know what a sanctuary is? That's where the birds can live without fear of being shot. That's where the ducks like to live. And we try to do that. We, we try to make it a safe place, no matter your skin color, no matter your social status, your position economically, your lifestyle, your dress. We try to make it a safe place for people to find Jesus. And we probably have not always succeeded, but we, we do that. I... Uh, I read a Leonard Ravenhill quote, and he was talking about the power of preaching, and the purpose of preaching is to make us better, to edify us, to build us up. We're saved by preaching. Paul didn't say that to the unbeliever. He said it to the believers. We are saved by preaching. Years ago when I was at World Headquarters in the Youth Division, I used to go to a local church in the area quite often and preach for an older man. And we always, I always enjoyed going because I didn't have to get on a plane, didn't have to fly anywhere. I, I could be with my family. But on Sunday mornings, he would move his pulpit in the Sunday school class. He had Sunday school and then he had church. And he would, his, he would move his pulpit halfway back in the church. And I had been two or three times and finally my curiosity got the best of me. And I asked him, I said, why, why do you move your pulpit like back there? And he said, Brother Dean, I tried for years to get the people to move up. It's a true story. He said, I couldn't get him to move up, so I just went back to them. It was one of the deadest churches I ever preached in. No, I'm not lying. I hate to say that about a church, but it was a tough place to preach. There was a, there was a, a king in the Old Testament that kind of had that philosophy. His name was Jeroboam. Instead of moving people closer to the altar, he moved the altar closer to the people. He said, it's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem. It's too far, too much sacrifice involved. So with all of that being said, just let me tell you, and I'm not your pastor, but he invited me to come, and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you tonight. One of these days, nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to matter. So give me that opportunity, would you? Amen. And I know I joke about being a little older. I'm not old. I'm getting older. I mean, I heard about one man that uh, bought a little electronic device at Walmart, and we were checking out. The lady said, sir, do you want to buy an extended warranty on this? He said, ma'am, at my age, I don't even buy green bananas. 
I hadn't been in Bossier long, and there is a pastor in Shreveport who was personal friends with, with David Wilkerson. Now, the younger people wouldn't know David Wilkerson, but probably the older people would. He started Teen Challenge. He went into the, into the uh, he's an, he was an Assembly of God preacher, I think. I'm not positive, but I think he was. He, he went into the worst areas of New York City with a burden and a passion and began to win people to the Lord. He wrote a book called The Cross and the Switchblade, which some of you older people have probably read. And it is a fascinating book. Well, they had a crusade in Shreveport, and uh, in a couple of days, there was an invitation sent to me. I, I was personal friends with the pastor who was his friend, and it was, a, it was like a minister's meeting only in the downtown Shreveport Convention Center. And me and my assistant, we wanted to go in here, David Wilkerson, so we went. There were probably 500 preachers there, and that was that was the worst scalding I ever got or ever heard from a preacher. Now, his subject was television, and if you've read his books, you'll read where he piled all his TVs up, and don't get nervous. I'm not fixing to even mess with any of that stuff. I'm not your pastor, but he. when I tell you, that he blistered for one hour. That was his subject. And just worked. And it was so quiet in there, you could hear a mouse licking on ice. You, It was amazing. And I mean, me and my assistant were just kind of, we were happy about it. We were like, man, go. So the next day, we went back for the second service, and there was hardly anybody there. <laughs> And he said, okay, we got rid of everybody that's not really interested in serving God. I'm going to teach you a Bible study today. And honestly, it was one of the best Bible studies. It was amazing. The preacher moved the pulpit back. He said, we got rid of people that's not really interested in serving God. I feel your hunger tonight. I feel your hunger. It's in your worship. I know it's in your prayer meetings. It's in your pastor and his family. And that's what God responds to is hunger. I revisited a crusade. I think I may have played the video when I was here. When we had the crusade in 2017 in Nicaragua, and, and uh, we'd spent a lot of money on that crusade, like $30,000 is what it cost. And I was going to get some of my pastor friends to help me pay for that crusade, and nobody helped me. So it was left up to our church, and we get down we had built a Bible school there in, in uh, Managua, Nicaragua, in honor of my dad, the William H. Dean Memorial Bible School. It's a beautiful complex. Stands today, a big, nice two-story building. And so we, uh, they had rented 5,000 chairs, and it was in the open field. I have some pictures, if they'll put some of those pictures up from Nicaragua. It was in an open field, and uh, that first night I was looking, not, not that picture, that's, that's for later. Yeah, there there you go. You can see the crowd. That's the Bible school in the back. But anyway, it was, it was, we had three nights, and the first night was Friday night, and we're about 15 minutes away from starting church. They have this massive PA system. They have rented, forgive me, Lord, porta potties. They were lined up across the field. And I'm, I'm looking out at this congregation, and there, there's maybe 200 people out here. And it's like 15 minutes until church starts. And I'm thinking, 
So I went to the missionary and I said, are we in trouble? He goes over to the national president, Brother Garcia, and he couldn't speak English. And he came back and said, no, we'll have about 3,000 tonight, tomorrow. Tomorrow night we'll have five to 6,000. He said, the last night we'll have 10,000 people. But what I didn't know, one of the reasons the conference was so expensive was they rented buses from all over Nicaragua. You got to understand, even today, the average wage, the medium wage in Nicaragua is less than $2,000 annually. So they rented buses from all over the country from their churches and they came and and everything he said was so true. We had 15, we had 3,000 probably the first night. It doubled the next night and the last night you can see the crowd. You could hardly see the back of it. And I wish you could see the videos of these people worshiping God because all the way in the back, I don't know why they just, they didn't need any chairs because nobody ever sat down. They stood and they worshiped. And and I reminded Bozier this morning that I've been in quite a few countries overseas, most of them third world countries. And this is what I brought back every time. The people that I see in these meetings that have the least, it looks like they have the least to praise God for. Praise God the most. And the people who appear to have the most to praise God for, praise Him the least. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And, and that's, that's pretty much across the board. And so the thing that grabbed me at this meeting, we saw miracles. We saw people get out of wheelchairs. But the hunger, somebody say hunger. The hunger is what overwhelmed me. Later, we would find out that from that crusade, 2,392 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. From that crusade, Brother Nix, the missionary there, said revival broke out all over Nicaragua because those people who came to the crusades went home on fire. And their churches exploded in revival. And, you know, when it was over, I'm like, 30,000, that was worth 100,000 to see that kind of a move of God. But we've always observed that. We are the most blessed people on the planet. And I'm probably as blessed, if not more blessed, than anybody in this room tonight. I've been asked by younger preachers, how do you keep from getting pride? I will tell you how. I don't forget where I came from. I don't, I don't forget growing up in a church with 30 people, a handful of people. My daddy laboring, laboring, praying every day, every day, every day, 5 o'clock every morning for revival. And he finally had that revival, an amazing revival before it was after I moved away from home. But in, in the book of Philippians chapter 3, There's something so exciting to me here where Paul said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered, somebody say suffered, the loss. Of all things. Somebody say all things. And do count them but dung. You do know what dung is. The literal word means rubbish. I do count them but dung. That I may win. 
Christ. Now, if Paul had written this in the early days of his ministry, it would make more sense to me. But he didn't write Philippians in the early days of his ministry. He wrote it in the last days of his ministry, just prior to being beheaded. From a prison in Rome, he wrote the book of Philippians, one of the last books, maybe the next to the last book he ever penned. And at the end of his life, he said, I've lost everything. He used the word suffered. Then he says that I might win Christ. And this is not about Paul's salvation. We know that. He was very confident, comfortable. He said, I finished my course and I kept the faith, right? He was very comfortable with his salvation. This was about more than being saved. It's like, I want to win Christ. I want to win Christ. And I, I can't get this off of my mind. One of my mentors, J.T. Pugh, said, Heaven is not my goal. Heaven is my destiny. My goal should be what Paul's goal was. That is to win Christ. I want to win him that I might know him. Is this all right? I know this is different than what you're used to, but hang on a minute, all right? Paul's entire life, his ministry, his purpose for living focused on pleasing Jesus Christ. He never married. It wasn't because he didn't care. He, I mean, he, he even went so far to the Corinthian church to say, and tell us why did he said I could have married, I could have took a wife like Peter and James and the others. But he said, Someone who's married careth for the things of this world. You've got to take care of a family. And he said, He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. He's trying to win Christ. Now, I the only person I know that Embrace this was Lee Stone King. I don't know anybody else that I'm not going to get married. I want to win Christ. I'm going to have to move this pulpit halfway back now. <laughs> How about it, young men? You're so hungry for God, you're going to say, I'm not getting married. Don't have any takers? Raise your hand high. I want witnesses. I was so scared to death Jesus was coming before I got married. I wanted to get married, man. I didn't want to hang around. Paul said, I forego that. I didn't do that. <laughs> Somebody shout amen. amen. He said to the Colossian church that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Amen. Man, I'm glad I got married. I wasn't ready for marriage when I got married. I had four brothers. I knew nothing about women. Nothing. It wasn't easy in the beginning. I had to learn my wife's love language. 
Have you ever read Gary Smalley's book, The Five Love Languages? You hadn't? You ought to read it. It'll help your marriage. You got to find out what your wife's love language is. I'm talking to the married people now. None of you singles need to get in on this. <laughs> Amen. So, <laughs> in this book, I'm having a lot more fun than you think I am. In this book, he lists five love languages. The first is quality time. In other words, there are some, and it could be a husband or a wife. We all have a love language. It's just spend meaningful time with your partner, and that's enough for him. Others, it's physical touch. That's pretty much 100% all males. I probably shouldn't have said that. One is acts of service. Just do things for your partner, your spouse. You know, I, 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 the, my whole idea was like if the trash needs to be taken out, just ask me to take the trash out. My wife had a different philosophy because her love language is acts of service. Why don't you just do it? Took me a long time to learn that, but it paid great dividends. Some people, their love language is words of affirmation. Just saying things to affirm your husband or wife. Sweet things, kind things. You look nice. One morning, my wife came out in a new dress. And I'm like, man. Where did you get that dress? I love that dress on you. I'm being the words of affirmation, man. She said, I didn't know if you liked it or not. This is the third time I've wore it. <laughs> One love language is receiving gifts. There were five. Quality time, physical touch, acts of service, words of affirmation, and receiving gifts. And I learned my wife's love language. It's Acts of service. And it works. It's cool. So one night, my wife is a junker. You know what a junker is? She has a booth in an antique shop. And they, they love to go to Canton and antique stores. And they buy junk. And they bring it home. And she puts it in the garage. And she paints it. She went through this deal where they called it shabby chic or something. You paint it and you make it look old. You paint it white, and then you scrub it and scuff it up, and then you put something else on it, and everything in our house was turning white. There was a while I was afraid to bend over. I didn't know what would happen if I even bent over. This is not very spiritual, is it? <laughs> yeah, and you're going to want to listen to this again before I get through. One night, they, had, they, they have these Canton trade days, and it's always the first Monday. And So on Thursday, her and some ladies spent the day in Canton. They got home that night, and we're, we're, in, we're, we're, we're in the bed. We're getting ready to go to sleep. And she says, how about me and you trading vehicles tomorrow? I want to take your truck, and, and you can drive my forerunner. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not a dummy, you know. I'm like, so you bought a piece of furniture you couldn't get in your car today, right? She said, yes. And I said, why don't I go with you? You would do that? Yeah, let's go. I'd love to. So I didn't lie. I enjoyed being with her. 
There's no me without her. And we drove over there and loaded that big old piece of furniture in my truck. On the way home, it was like honey flowing out of her lips. I mean, she's just grabbing my hand and holding my hand and telling me, yeah, see, I spoke her love language. And I'm like, I looked over at my wife. I said, boy, I spoke your love language today. And we got tickled and we laughed about it, but it was the truth. Well, I got to wondering about God if he has a love language. Reckon he does? He said, I want to win Christ. See, you didn't think I was on my subject, did you? He said, I want to win Christ. I'm an, I've been at this for years, and I still want to do something that will please him. So I, I got my book out when I'm reading this, and I, I looked at it, quality time. I think God would like that. I think that would be a love language for God, don't you? Spend some time with me. Have a prayer meeting. Shut the door to your closet, and let's talk. You know, physical touch, maybe not. He's a spirit, but I, I think we can touch him in the spirit. I think he rewards those who diligently seek him. And then there's those acts of service. I'm absolutely convinced that's one of God's love languages is to do something for him. Amen? We're the church, and that's why we're here, to do something for him. Words of affirmation, hey, he's all about praise. He commanded it. He must like for us to say, I love you, Jesus. He must like for us to say, hallelujah. Everything that hath breath, praise you, the Lord. And then receiving gifts. I know he, that's his love languages. He got all these love languages. I read in the Song of Solomon, here you got the king of Solomon who, who, who's out looking at his vineyards and he sees this little girl keeping a vineyard. She's not a queen. She's not a princess. She's just one of the girls. That's what she, what she did. She kept the vineyard. And he said in Song of Solomon 4 and 9, as I read this, look at what the king said to this young lady. Thou hast ravished my heart. Now, I think you know the song of songs, which is Solomon, is an allegory of God, Christ, and his bride. He said to this girl, you ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. I looked that word ravished up in my Strong's Concordance, and it means to unheart. In our vernacular, we would say, she stole his heart. You ravished my heart. You stole my heart. And I'm thinking, I wonder what I could do to make the king say that about me. Stole my heart. I want to find out what his love language is. And I want to do it. And I will tell you one of his love languages, probably above other, any other, and I don't know if we can put it in one of these love languages, but it's to get the gospel to the world. And anything you and I can do to help get this gospel to the world, you're talking about the thing that's closer to his heart than anything else you can think of. And that's to have that love languages. You know, I, our church is a great giving church. And they've given through the years. And, and this will mark my 34th year as pastor. And last summer, we voted in 
my marvelous son Ryan to be the pastor of our church and I'm now senior and I'm we're trying to transition and it's not going fast enough for me but we've had 34 years of consecutive with the exception of one year and we barely missed it of consecutive uh, tithing in our church it went up exponentially this year not bragging about that I didn't do it it's the people in the congregation that God is blessing and one year we missed it by like $10,000. But when I came to Bozier, I'd already had a burden and a, and a vision to, to have a missions-minded church. So we began to have a missions conference. It actually had one before I went there. I don't brag about it. I went to General Conference a few years ago. And at, at General Conference, they had, they had a banquet for the top 20 churches in the nation and given to global missions. And then they they also invited the top 20 per capita churches. So they take the number of your church, they take your total offering, and they divide it, and so you get the per capita. You get what I'm saying? So it's the average number of people. How much did you give? There was an older pastor. He just, he just passed away this last year from a church in Mississippi. And he sat down beside me. And we have this little brochure. And I'm looking at the brochure. And uh, he introduced himself to me. His name was Sawyer. Somebody here may know Brother Sawyer. I don't know. Do you know Brother Sawyer? And I'm looking. And he's number one. He's number one in the per capita giving. And I'm intrigued by that. And I looked at his total offering. And I said, Brother Sawyer, how many, how many people do you have? He said, Brother Dean, on Good Sunday, we have 100. We usually have maybe 80. And I'm, I'm looking at that. And I, I got my little handy calculator out in my uh, in my phone, and I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. And so when I got through figuring up if, if our church would have averaged what his church did per capita, we would have given $1.2 million. So you think I'm going to get up here and feel proud about what we've done? No, I want to do more. I want to do more. We have, Brother Stevenson, been able to impact places around the world and we're living in this hour now where something has got to be done because we're not racing other churches. We're racing the rapture. When I was in Nicaragua and they had this, the last night, they had this massive platform. It was probably five feet off the ground and the people were crowding the altar. They were pressing up against the altar. And they, they, you know, they look at us and we're Americans. We came from America. They probably think we're some rich white guy, you know, over here in America. I don't know what they're thinking. But if you just lay your hand on them, if you just pray for them. But the hunger was amazing. And, and I was sharing this again this morning with our church family. There was a man that had a little infant baby in his arms. I'm assuming, I don't know, that something was wrong with his baby. It wasn't visible. But he was reaching for me. And I was afraid I was going to fall off the platform. And I would have been in the wave or whatever they call it when they lift the people up, you know, in the mosh pits or whatever. And, 
And I'm like, man, if I fall off here, and he was just reaching and praying, he kept putting his hand on his, he, he couldn't speak English, and he just putting his hand on his baby's head and come, and the hunger that was there finally reached out there and was able to touch his baby's head and, and, and release a word of faith and pray, and, but that wasn't enough. Then it was his wife, and he's got his wife's hand, and he's pushing it out there. He just wanted me to take his wife's hand and pray over. When I prayed for her, he leaned his head out, just pray for me, and I'm, I'm seeing this hunger, and I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with it. Of everything I saw in this Nicaragua, that 2017 crusade we had, or 16, or whenever it was. I, I don't know what all may have happened in that meeting. I know a lot of people got the Holy Ghost. I know Nicaragua had revival after that was over, but that's what I was stuck with. He, that man in his hunger, just to have me pray for him, and I'm thinking, I want that kind of hunger for God. I want that kind of hunger for the man of God. I want that kind of hunger for the Word of God. Just reach out just touch me I'm going to tell you America when the American church gets that kind of hunger we are going to evangelize the world and God is going to do a quick work when you were talking a while ago before brother Stevenson said what he did brother borders the words quick work came into my mind I'm going to tell you it's going to start before you get back home and it's not going to be 2023 no God's got a plan in New Zealand can I get a witness from somebody And I know this is probably not the kind of thing, but this is a mission service, and I want to talk missions. Amen. So I was sitting in my office one day, and, and I got a call from missionary James Corbin in Bangladesh. I didn't know him. I'd never met him. I never shook his hand to my knowledge. I'd heard him speak at General Conference one year for about 15 minutes. And he said, Brother Dean, Last night in the middle of the night, he said, the Lord woke me up and told me to call you. Well, sometimes that's kind of scary. Like, oh, okay. I don't know the man. Heard about him. Heard him speak. And I said, Brother uh, Corbin, I said, what did the Lord tell you to tell me? He said, Brother Dean, we're trying to build a Bible school. Put that, put that other picture back up here. So we're trying to build a Bible school for uh, in memory of Guy Rome. And nobody in here would know Guy Rome, but we attended the church he built. He had a church of probably 800 people back in the 70s, which was unheard of in our movement. Seven, 800 people. One of the greatest missions given churches in our fellowship. He said, I want to build a Bible school to, in memory of Guy Rome. He's from Missouri, the St. Louis area. And I'm like, Hey, that's cool. I said, well, what can we do? And he said, well, we bought a piece of ground. And he said, we're going to build a five-story Bible school to honor him. It's going to be a training center. It'll have a 500-seat sanctuary. There'll be dormitories. And he, and he said, the problem is our land is not big enough, and the property next door is for sale for $50,000. And we, we, I can't raise the money to get that. I hadn't been able to raise the money. And he said, the owner called me the other day and said, if you don't purchase it, we're going to sell it to someone else. And I was asked that summer to preach the missions night at the Indiana camp meeting. And I just knew. I said, Brother, 
Corbin, I know why God had you call me. I'm going to preach the missions night at the Indiana camp meeting. I'll raise his money. I got my church directory out. I looked at all the great churches in Indiana. I forgot how many there were, and I'm like, this is going to be a breeze. They all knew Guy Rome up there in that part of the world. Everybody did. So I'm ready to go. Got my sermon ready. Got my pictures ready. Got everything ready. I had an architectural drawing of this building. It's beautiful. And this is only the most recent picture I have. But anyway, so I walk in church that night all ready to go. Going to make this pitch to help Brother Corbin raise his money. And it, it was North American missions. It was like what we used to call home missions. And they had like 15 church planters up there. People starting churches and they were raising money for them that night. And I'm like, oh no. I can't do this. At the end of my sermon, they were raising money for these church planters. This is a true, unembellished, unevangelistic story. I'm on the plane, and I, had to ch I changed my sermon on the platform. I told him in the booth with a picture, just can that picture. <laughs> it ain't going to work. The Holy Ghost is fixing to move in here. On the way home, I put my hand over my head in the airplane the next day, and I was, I was praying quietly, and I, was, I started crying. I said, God, I just knew I had a plan here. What am I going to tell Brother Corbin? And the Holy Ghost spoke to me, and that don't happen real often. But this is what God told me. I didn't ask him to call Indiana. I asked him to call you. Now I'm really crying, and I'm trying to make sure the lady sitting by me don't see me crying. I came home, got our elder board together, some of our men. I said, I told this story. And I said, uh, we don't have an option. We, we've got to give this money. It took about five minutes to have that meeting. Absolutely, we're going to give it. We had the money, and we gave it. They bought that property. He needed $75,000 for each floor. And we brought him to our missions conference shortly after that. That was in the summer. And so the next year at missions conference, he came. And our church gave $75,000. So we built a floor. But that's only the beginning of the story. I'd, I'd been asked to preach the Missouri Count meeting. I'd been asked to preach a missions deal for Harold Hoffman in Detroit, Michigan. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, we need to, be, we need to build this Bible school for Guy Rome. Harold Hoffman had preached many revivals for Guy Rome. And so I went up to Detroit, was just in there one service like I'm doing here tonight, and they gave 150000 I had two floors. Played that video from Nicaragua. And that summer at the Missouri Count meeting, I called the superintendent. I'm not going to let this happen again. And I said, hey, uh, Brother Scott Graham was the superintendent. I said, Brother Graham. I told him what happened, and I said, I have a burden to build this Bible school. And Guy Rome was the superintendent of Missouri. He's an icon, and Brother Graham told me, so help me God, I'm telling you the truth. He said, Brother Dean, you're not going to believe we just walked out of a board meeting. For 20 years, our only offering at camp meeting was taken for another project. He told me what it was. He said, we just left a board meeting. We said, this year we're going to raise funds to build that Bible school for Guy Rome. And that Friday night, the Holy Ghost fell in that meeting. 
and they gave $150,000. So we had all five floors, and they had that property, and they've run a little short, and I've already pitched this. I sent an email to your pastor, and I told Brother Corbin, you know, he's apologizing because this is going to cost more, and I thought we built three big buildings in Bossier. Every one of them cost more than we thought they were going to build. That's just the nature of the beast. Don't feel bad about it. This church is going to help us. We're going to raise the money to do that. You're going to help us, and Bozier's going to be involved. You're going to help us. You're going to help us. I'll send Pastor Stevenson the architectural drawing of this building, and I will tell you there probably will not be a Bible school like this in the world. Is this nice. It's amazing. We're going to do it for the glory of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Does anybody believe we can speak one of God's love languages tonight? Come on, I was expecting a bigger hand clap than that. And a shout. Before COVID, we had a a prison team that went every year into the prison. I'll get the musicians to come. We go every year into the prison. Or every week, we had a team of people that went, both ladies and men, and They've shut us down since COVID opened, but the uh, the ladies prayed a lady through. Her name was Verita Roan. Verita Roan. They prayed her through, and she got out of prison, and she, she was in there for uh, I don't know what all, but I know her main problem was drug addiction, and Verita went back. She, as soon as she got out, she wasn't out in no time, and she went back to prison. And uh, can you put her picture up on the screen for me? And so when she went back to prison, these two ladies from our church, Sister Bobby and Sister Wanda, of course, she came in and they met her again. She's back in prison. And she didn't look like this when she first came to church. The next time she got out of prison, she came straight to church. And she told me more than one time she was the neatest person. She, she was amazing. But she said, Pastor, I didn't want to come to this white honky church. She said, y'all not going to like my worship. She had the hand on the hip deal going, brother. She'd get out in front of everybody and do it. We fell in love with her. But what I want to tell you tonight, one of our ladies, we didn't know even who it was for a while, had gone up to her. She just came to our church. She, one of our men made her some teeth. All of her teeth were messed up, rotted out because of drug abuse. And he made her a set of new teeth. We had a man in the church that made false teeth. And she looked so good. That's the prison she was in behind her. Anyway, she wore teeth sometimes and sometimes she didn't. But you ought to go to prayer meeting with her. She prayed real loud. She prayed real loud and she prayed real plain. She prayed, she prayed things that make you blush. She prayed for Richard, her son, one night. She said, God, I don't know what you're going to do with Richard, but I've done all I can do. He done got all these. He's going to fix and get another lady pregnant, and I don't want any more grandbabies to raise. Now, God, what are you? And she's just crying, 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 speaking in tongues, crying, crying. But our first missions conference after she got in the church, I, will, I, I can take you to the place I was standing We loved her to death, man. She was precious. She walked through that side door, 
And she had a sandwich bag, a plastic see-through sandwich bag in her hand. And it was full of money. She's working two jobs just to pay her rent and get by. And she said, Pastor, Pastor, look what I got for missions today. And I looked, and I, man, that's a lot of money. Verena, how much money you got in there? I got $1,200. I said, where did you get it? I asked people for it. I told everybody I saw, we're having missions conference. You need to give me some money. She had 1200 bucks, And every year after that, she's always got her missions offering. Her dream, she said, was to get out of the ghetto. And she's given everything she gets away. My wife and I and two couples were in Canada on vacation. We were at a Dunkin' Donuts or something. My daughter, Charity, called me, and she said, Dad, I think Farida just got killed in a car wreck. No. You, you don't know how we love this lady. She was the brightest light in our church, constantly bringing somebody to the house of God. She said, Daddy, I, I don't know for sure, but I think it's true. So I called her best friend, Carolyn, and Carolyn was crying on the phone. I said, Carolyn, no. So I, we were coming home the next day, and we got home. She was on I-49. She had a blowout. She had gone to pick up her grandkids. One of her granddaughters got killed with her in that car. And I found out her tires were bad. She had slick tires. A hundred people at the church I pastor would have bought her a set of tires. But we didn't know. I'm always one of the first to get there and often the last to leave. I never saw her car. If I'd have seen her car, I'd have went and got it and said, Rita, we're going to get you some tires. After she passed away, we found out one of our ladies had asked her to come to her house after she got in the church and she fed her supper and she said, Verita, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, do you have a bathtub? She said, yeah. She said, it's been a long time since I had a hot bath. She just got out of prison. And I'm thinking... a set of tires, she would still be with us. You'd have bought her some tires, wouldn't you? And here's the deal about a mission service. You're not going home tonight not knowing how big the need is. Because I didn't come in here to make you shout. I don't know anything about anybody hardy in this building. I think you're the senator, right? Do you know Robert Mills? When you see him, you tell him, Pastor Jerry Dean preached at your church because we're just about to get him. He can't stay away. He was there last Sunday morning. We're going to get him. But we know 
You see, we know I've preached a long time tonight. I'm not even going to apologize for it. We know, don't we? Do we even have an option, Pastor? Is this an option? It's not an option. This is just what I know. I don't mind doing this because I know God don't lie. It may not be overnight, but I do know this. You cast your bread on the waters, and in many days, it'll come back. Stand with me right now, Holy Father. You're taking this bunch of people from Wallace Ridge right here in the middle of nowhere. And you're going to touch the world. We do know God, but we're going to respond. We're going to respond. You didn't seem to care what was given. You just looked at what they had left over. And you said she gave more than anybody. Because she gave it all. But we're not even asking for all tonight. We're just asking for a sacrifice. We want to speak your love language. We're still, still trying to win you. I want to steal your heart, God. I want you to look at me one day and say, well done. You got me, boy. You preached it and you lived it and you believed it. You got me. You spoke my language. Got to hear that, oh God. Whatever it takes, I got to hear it. That's why I drove down here tonight. Because I can't tell them no. Because I want to hear you say, well done. That's why I'm here. Every head is bowed right now in this congregation. Now, here's what you're going to do right now. You're going to pray, and God's going to nudge you. You've already given. The word's out on the street, church, Wallace Ridge. The word's out in the district. My Lord, that church at Wallace Ridge, look what they've been doing. It's out. I hear it. I'm not lying. I'm not trying to bluff you up or anything. God's going to speak to you. And you're going to respond. It is only a faith promise as you provide God. In the name of Jesus. I wonder if the singers could sing a little something right now while we're praying. Just keep your head bowed and pray. I return this pulpit back to your pastor that I love so much. Thank you, God, for sending this man to Wallace Ridge. I've lived stories that have proved your faithfulness. I've seen miracles my mind can comprehend. There is beauty in what I 
understand Jesus it's you Jesus it's you I believe you're the wonder working God you're the wonder working God all the miracles I've seen too good to not believe you're the wonder working God and you heal because you love all the miracles we'll see too good to not believe too good to not believe too good to not believe oh Just a mention As they sing, I want you to close your eyes and ask the Lord, God, lay upon my heart. Don't try to talk yourself out of what God's moving upon you. It may be that God's asking you to step out by faith. Don't try to figure out how it's going to happen. It's not up to you to make it happen. It's up to you to believe that God's going to do it. We're going to reach souls. We're going to sow the seed. As you get your card out, I want you to begin to fill it out prayerfully. Prayerfully fill this out. We're fixing to make our way to the front of this building in just a moment. If you have your gift, you can. Just a moment, not yet. I need two ushers to come with some bags across the front. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As you get your card filled out, I want you to come and put it in this offering bag and come stand around this altar. You don't have to give the money tonight, but this is a, a pledge. This is what we're going to do this year by the power of the Holy Ghost. In the name of come stay standing around the front. Oh, Jesus. We're going to be a part of it. We're going to be a part of it. Raise those hands. Too good to not 